Hi, good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming today and spending your time with us for the next hour. We, we appreciate you being here to hear about the, the story of, of around Discover and, and how they've tackled some of their data on AWS. So Arun and Michael, tell us, tell us why we're here today. Thanks for uh, being here again. And uh, one of the key things that we did a survey recently about uh, a few months ago, and one of the findings in that was 84% of C-suite executives is about a survey for 1,500 executives all around the world, and 84% said that they realize AI and data is critical for their competitive advantage. But the other figure, which is very alarming, is about 76% of them also said that they struggle to scale it. And that's where I think the journey that we went through at Discover becomes so important that we were able to take something, not just in an experimental mode, mm -hmm. but also actually scale it beyond that. And that's Michael, if you want to talk about it. Yeah, so I, again, thanks everyone for, for coming and thank you, uh, Accenture, for, uh, for, for allowing me to, to, to speak as part of this. We really appreciate it. Um, it so ultimately, and we'll, we'll talk a lot around um, how we at Discover manage data and what we do with it. But I think particularly in financial services, but really across most industries right now, data is you know, a potential source of, um, of competitive advantage. And it really depends on how you imagine it and how you govern it and how you use it. And so uh, I think what we'll talk about is sort of the ways that, that we've approached it at Discover. I think you have a lot of options on how to do it. We'll talk about some of the choices that we made and why. Uh, and then you know, potentially talk about some of the things that, that we decided not to do and why. But I think as you see, and then maybe if we sort of go to the, the next slide, it's um, what's really important organizationally is that there is a, um, a business buy-in. Uh, and from a top-down perspective, I think at Discover, we're really fortunate that our CEO, Roger Hochschild, uh, has a, um, a, a really intense focus on data and the ability for data to be at a source of competitive advantage. Okay, well, thank you again for being here today to tell the, tell the story of, of Discover. Um, as banks start to realize that you know, traditional distribution-led um, growth formulas are no longer working, and you know, some would even say loyalty you know, has started to wane a bit, right? In banks, people are starting to move around. They want to be able to be more digital. They want to be able to op um, open accounts online, apply for loans, and get approved online, those types of things. Um, Arun, in your role at Accenture, how, do you see consistent adoption of, of digital banking, um, and how does data, data, you know, visualization, visualization, and visualization play into that? So we do see a great uptake in terms of people trying to do all these digital initiatives and trying to enable uh, the cool, uh, sexy part of digital capabilities. There is a uptake on how to use data better. Uh, uh, that we see. One of the challenges that uh, uh, we see working with many customers is people are lost in doing POCs and uh, proof mm -hmm. of technologies, right? Uh, I think the challenge becomes when you try to make it industrialized and try to use it in actual business applications. And one of the key findings that we see is typically companies who are able to pivot and make it industrialized have about three times the return on investment than people who are just investing in proof of concept, proof of technology, is trying to validate the technology. Because Michael and I were just talking about as we were walking over to the stage, the technology works, right? It's about how do you find that business case, and I think that's what uh, 
in Discover, we had the opportunity to look at it from the business lens. Yeah, so I think that there are a lot of um, a lot of pressures I think organizations have right now. You can see that we talk about on the slide. So we talk about regulatory, economic. It's really easy for companies to get defensive and to manage to compliance, to manage to regulations. And it, you know, one of the things that we've been really fortunate with at Discover, and Discover for you know, decades now has been a phenomenally successful brand. Um, and so it takes a lot of fortitude and a lot of focus when times are going well to do things differently. So we had some use cases where um, we, we needed additional compute, and so those types of, of use cases were, were pretty straightforward. We wanted to move the data to the cloud and, and um, uh, you know, take advantage of the capabilities there. Uh, but for the rest of our data, um, it really, I think, took uh, a lot of uh, organizational imagination, not just technology, but from a business perspective to say, we believe we can get more out of our, our data, out of our, our infrastructure, by this cloud journey, uh, as opposed to just sort of staying, staying where we were. So I think that sort of ultimate view of we can, we can sort of wrangle more value out of our data by, by, taking, by taking on this transformation and moving our data to the cloud, I think is fundamental to, to the starting point for, you know, um, for, for successful transformation. And I think that was a key part in kind of putting the customer at the uh, center of everything and trying to drive the whole customer centricity by looking at data and driving value through it. Right, and that's definitely a, a differentiator when you think about the marketplace today, especially in financial services. Putting the customer you know, in, in the middle is going to help you grow in terms of customer acquisition, in terms of loyalty and things like that, right? So I think that's one of the big, big keys that you know, I've seen just you know, from working with you guys and, and seeing how you're tackling that. Um, and your journey's been very interesting from the beginning, right? And, you, and the way you've kind of approached it, you talked about the, the MVPs and how you, you know, want to kind of move away from that, but really do things that are going to be in production, going to drive you to your end goal and really put the, you know, where the rubber meets the road kind of thing. So let's talk about a little bit of the detail here and, and maybe um, some of, you know, the opportunities for Discover and, and how, you, how you approach this. What, what did you do and how did you do it and what were the meaningful pieces? Yeah, so, so just maybe a little bit uh, about Discover. Uh, hopefully, I guess, um, everyone in here is a Discover uh, credit card holder, I assume. <laughs> um, uh, but we have three primary lines of business, certainly our uh, Discover card. Uh, we are a, a direct bank as well, so uh, fairly sizable, maybe our best kept secret. We have over $50 billion in deposits in our, uh, in our direct bank. Uh, and our payment network, so we run certainly the Discover network, um, but also sort of Diners Club internationally and a number of sort of net-to-net net, uh, net partnerships internationally um, uh, with a number of um, local uh, payment networks across the, across the globe. And so what we, what we wanted to do as part of this journey was to create um, sort of a, a flywheel. So as Jim Collins talks about in, in Good to Great, uh, creating a flywheel where your benefits compound on each other. So what we wanted to do was, was create the end user experience. I think Chad, like you were talking about, um, that leads to um, more customers. And so as more customers come in, the more data you can collect uh, and the more you can understand about customer behavior and the, and the better you can analyze them, that will then enable you to create a better experience. And, and the idea is to create that pinwheel that starts uh, you know, somewhat slowly and then sort of compounds on itself and, and, and gets better and better and better. Um, the, the, the ultimate key, I think, is that you know, certainly there is a lot of data that we have to consume, but it's what you do with it. It's how you analyze it, how you leverage it uh, to, to create that pinwheel, and then how you actually um, you know, drive it out to your individual channels. So back to the um, 
you know, things like personalization, mm -hmm. uh, new product development, uh, managing of people through their credit cycles, I think is another area where, where we'll spend a lot of time and I think seen a lot of success. So the, the, the opportunities I think are, are fairly significant, uh, but this is how we viewed uh, the, the business case and really our aspiration uh, for being able to use the data through that process. So talking about business case, Michael, when we started this journey, right, you had a lot of data and on-premise, what really was that push, or what really was that business case to start looking at a cloud journey? So, so the first one was we had a, um, we have a lot of data that, that feeds our models, and we have a, um, uh, a regulation called CECL that is going into, um, into effect at the end of this year. And so we had a lot of data that we had to consume, uh, particularly as we created these models, we had to look back through the cycle and like, given the economic cycle where it is, looking back to the, the turn of the cycle is, is a number of years in, in, in uh, a number of years of history. And so the ability to consume that much data that quickly and to create new models, uh, to be able to create that type of infrastructure on-prem would have just been untenable. Um, and so we really, you know, uh, the, the cloud was the only way, AWS was the only way uh, for, for us to really be able to get all the data in one place to, to be able to create uh, new models out of that data and, and eventually sort of create the production environment to, to run those models. So that was our first primary use case to, uh, to get onto the cloud and then uh, you know, seeing the benefits and really uh, knowing that that is our ultimate target, we've sort of you know, backfilled uh, the rest of the process on moving our, and we'll talk in, in a minute about sort of how we're, we're moving our legacy environments uh, onto the cloud in, in sort of a, um, uh, what, I, what I hope is a, a methodical way. Absolutely. And this is not just a technology-driven program, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So uh, you know, ultimately, I think uh, you know, sort of, uh, Arun had mentioned it, but the technologies are, are all there. Um, you can use them more responsibly. You can use them less responsibly. But the technologies exist uh, to, to run all of your data and all of your processes in the cloud. Uh, ultimately, I think if, if this becomes a technology-driven um, transformation or technology-driven venture, you're, you're, you've already lost the, the, the game because um, you'll, you'll end up chasing uh, the, the business cases. And there are very few businesses, I think, that are uh, very interested in moving a like-for-like -like set of processes just to move to the cloud. Uh, I think there are some, some, some rationale to do that. Uh, certainly the, the amount of compute, um, the ability to, to you know, manage storage better, uh, the ability to attract talent, right? That's where ultimately most of your engineering talent wants to be working. And so there, there, are, there is value to it, um, but ultimately until your business buys in and says this is where we want to, to see our, uh, you know, our business, our use cases, and we can see value coming out of it, I think you, you have an uphill battle. Good, good. And while you're all out there um, opening your account on the Discover website on your mobile phone, <laughs> let's, figure, let's talk a little bit about how you got from your vision and plan into actual execution a little bit. Yeah, certainly. Um, and so just to, to, to level set as well before we dive into the details, so uh, the, the, the journey, the transformation is by no means <laughs> complete. Uh, we are, we are, um, we, we've learned a lot of lessons and I think do some things really well. Um, but we are constantly learning, constantly growing, and we are uh, still you know, relatively young in the journey. So uh, I think for folks that look and, and start to see a lot of the PowerPoints and sophisticated architectures and, and you know, sort of the, the, the things that look um, particularly advanced, um, I would say that the vast majority of organizations are still getting their feet wet. So the, uh, you're, you're not behind, <laughs> I think, depending on the industry and, 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 and how you uh, create a sense of urgency uh, to start your transformations. But, but you know, it's still early days in, in 
how to really use these, uh, these environments most effectively. But let me just, I'll talk about sort of how we approach the, the key areas uh, for our transformation. The, the first one, which I think is a really um, underappreciated uh, uh, part of this, but it is uh, fundamentally important, is around uh, data management and data governance. Uh, so we have a decades-old legacy environment, um, and as we've looked into a number of sort of our detailed calculations and models, and uh, we have a really, really uh, complex uh, environment. Uh, and so one of the things that we, we, we decided as we, as we started our transformation journey was that we wanted to um, reinvigorate uh, the way we think about metadata management, data governance, lineage, things like that, because ultimately we didn't want to recreate the same complexity that we had in the cloud. Um, that we have on-prem. So uh, creating a really strong, important, well-supported data governance process uh, is, is, is really fundamental to the, uh, to the journey. Um, we, uh, we have um, you know, uh, hundreds of data engineers as well, all of whom have been uh, working in our uh, legacy environments for a long time. Uh, and so there's a measure of training, uh, getting people uh, sort of ready and engaged and, and excited about the cloud journey, uh, but also understanding that it's gonna take time and that some people will work in, in, in uh, sort of cloud environments and some people will continue to maintain. And so really getting the, um, you know, our, our, um, our talent, our engineers, you know, ready for the journey, I think was, and I bet was that a was fundamental a big, part of it. A big piece of, you know, getting everybody one over to actually go do this work, right? I mean, in terms of the culture change and, and people's, you know, Jobs from day to day may change as this progresses, right? Certainly, yeah. So, so there's a lot of change management uh, yep. that, that's required as part of it, uh, and also, so we run, you know, we have a, a, a relatively large um, legacy environment. We run about forty thousand ab initio jobs a day. So, we have a, 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 a production operations team that spends a lot of time sort of managing our, our current operations. Uh, and as we move to the cloud, now you've added. You know, yet another environment for them to manage. And so we'll talk about you know, how, you, how you manage with a sense of urgency uh, to, to, to get to the cloud because maintaining multiple production environments is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, but that's all part of it is how you, how you not just create the technology uh, to be able to, to uh, manage your data in the cloud, but to manage enterprise operations as part of that, I think is, is, uh, you know, is, is, a, is a task as well. I think that is something that stands out to me when I look at this slide that it was a multidisciplinary team in the true sense. I mean, you had people looking at it from operations perspective. You had people looking at it from program portfolio management perspective. You had people looking at it from core technology cloud data platform perspective and all working together and aligning to that vision that you've said up front, Roger laying down that data analytics is at the core of driving that business uh, competitive advantage. Right, right yeah, yeah, and so, so I think as we, as we continue to sort of move down the chart, if you look at, so we have a, um, an enterprise data or enterprise decisioning platform. So we feed data uh, and make a lot of decisions off of that data, both from a model um, training, model development perspective, but also an ongoing production execution perspective. So moving the decisioning platform along with the data, I think is a, a significant amount of uh, significant amount of, of engineering effort as well. Um, the cloud data platform, which I think is what most people would associate with, you know, how you move to the cloud is how do you create the products. Uh, and all of the infrastructure, the data lake, the data warehouse, the, you know, how you ingest the data, all of the, what we'll call you know, in, in a minute, our cloud data fabric, um, creating all of the tools, products, and infrastructure uh, 
uh, on the cloud to be able to uh, to manage the data well. Uh, so it was, it was a true transformation. Area. It wasn't moving, you know, your 40,000 app initio jobs today to AWS. It was transformation, right? Well, it's a, it's a whole new set of products. We, we have a lot of homegrown tools that, that, are, that exist in our legacy environment. Uh, we have a number of tools that, that are, are wonderful and fit for purpose for what they're doing now, uh, but don't necessarily translate to some of the use cases that we yeah. have uh, or that we anticipate going forward. And so we're really trying to future-proof and create optionality uh, as, we, as we build out our, our, the, you know, our cloud platforms. And then the last part, which I think we, we've mentioned a little bit before, um, so we really needed a way to make sure that we were prioritizing, we were assessing the use cases for how we move data to the cloud and prioritize the network appropriately. Um, as we think about moving uh, to, to the cloud, we need a process to disposition our existing assets. So do you retire? Do you rewrite? Do you refactor? Are you re-architecting what you're doing? And how do you get the business uh, bought in? Are there areas where you want to redesign your business processes? And because again, without that business support and the prioritization from a business perspective, um, you know, the, the, the process just wouldn't work. So this is how we sort of framed up our, um, you know, the, the transformation initiative. I think the last one, again, I mean, was very critical, right? Looking at it from a business perspective and thinking about how do you manage the demand and supply of the data assets that are being requested? How do you prioritize it and how do you decide, okay, there's a good one to do, but not now, right? That, that, that's a tough decision. Mm -hmm. For sure. Good, okay. Let's talk a little bit about your decision to move to cloud and what were some of the factors you know, behind that. I think you mentioned a few already, but you know, if we can kind of hit on that as we, before we move into more of the uh, details a little bit. Yeah, so ultimately I think you know, the, the, the business case of, of the cloud is, is relatively consistent, I think, to you know, whether it's data or your source systems and applications, um, but ultimately the ability to uh, work with speed and work with agility. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you have the appropriate controls, the appropriate uh, processes in place to be able to spin up environments really quickly, to scale them out, to be able to run auto scale, to not have to get into your multi-quarter um, you know, procurement processes to add new hardware and to, to you know, um, you know, rack and wire new, uh, right. new infrastructure in the data center, I think is, is, is all fundamental to um, you know, the, the business case around uh, moving to the cloud. I think uh, on the flip side, there are um, uh, risks, you could call them, I guess, or considerations, constraints. Uh, so, you know, everyone's heard about, you know, the number of the um, data breaches and, and uh, there's a significant amount of, of, of uh, oversight and focus on how you move applications and how you move data to the cloud. And so really making sure that, that first of all, that you have organizational alignment on what you're doing, but also that you've built out appropriate risks and controls and processes so that you're responsibly managing the process and managing the data, I think, are fundamental. I think one of the things that uh, when we worked together, one of the things that we did was the whole AWS Well Architected Review, to kind of, uh, which is a tool that uh, Amazon and Accenture we have developed together. What we do is look at the maturity, the readiness of the organization to actually go on to the AWS journey as well as if somebody is already on the platform looking at how mature or how well designed that is. Right. And that was a study that we did with Discover to kind of find out, okay, what are the things that have been done well? What are the things that we need to do a little bit more? And it kind of looks at 45 plus question areas and uh, finding out uh, from operations perspective, security perspective, uh, resilience perspective, looking at it from every aspect and saying, okay, 
Are you ready to move these things to cloud? How mature it is and where do you want to go? And I know that can be done very quickly. Yes. Um, how did it help in the journey? Did it, did it show you any areas, any gaps that you needed to, to focus so, on? As I said, we identified, we did that whole exercise for about a couple of weeks, there was, yeah. uh, and uh, we identified about 12 key areas okay. where we identified that there will be more effort needed to kind of harden the environment and move it to a stage where it's production ready. Okay, great. Let's talk a little bit more detail here around um, your, your, your overall migration. Do you wanna kind of dive in? Yeah, so, so I'll talk about the, how, we, how we kicked off the process, and I'll sort of leave the, the Cecil part of what you talked about um, to the side for a second. But you know, from a Discover perspective, we're, we're really fortunate. We have the, the sort of size and scale um, to, to make it uh, possible, but also I think necessary to work with um, you know, folks like Accenture and a number of other our key partners uh, to be able to assess our environments and to really take a good look at uh, what it would take to move to the, the, the cloud and then to perform transformation in a responsible way. And so uh, we have a, a significant number of, of assets. You can see uh, you know, petabytes of data. Um, just in, in Teradata, you see the 6,000 production tables. Those are, uh, we have a, an on-prem Teradata that has 6,000 user-facing tables. There are a number of other sort of back office related tables. We also have a, a, a very significant uh, SAS grid with a number of production applications running off of those. Um, a whole set of, of production processes and controls that have built up over time, all of which that we, we had to, to review and analyze as part of the, uh, the, the cloud migration process. In addition to um, you know, looking at our workforce and saying, was it appropriate? Yep. Can, the, can we manage and go through the change management process to get to the cloud to, to have the right people in place? Um, we, we've traditionally had a very high reliance on um, contractors and, and third-party resources, and, and as part of this process, we've made the decision to start to, to insource a number of those roles, and so that became part of the, the uh, you know, part of our internal transformation as well. And did you see when you did that that it was easier to attract you know new talent? I know the talent market is tight, but. Did that help in terms of how you recruited and how you were able to add to your talent in your workforce? Yeah, so I think it was um, a bit of the uh, sort of the, the, the negative the other way. I think if, you know, as as we sort of talk about, you know, you're going to work in a legacy ab initio environment <laughs> on Teradata for right. the next you know X number of years. I think you 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 start to to see the glimmer in folks' eyes sort of you know wane a little bit and you know not get quite as excited. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of uh, you know the labor market is tight and and there are uh, other considerations beyond the technologies you work on. But uh, most of your sort of you know most engineers want to feel like they're progressing culture and, 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 yeah, and right. right and so I think one of the things that we've we've done as part of that part of the benefit of having such a heavy you know third-party workforce is we can start to gear them more towards our uh, legacy environments and have okay. our associates work more on our, our newer environments and and really build their skills and feel like they're growing uh, as part of their careers as well that's great Everyone, do you have no I, I think Michael covered it okay oh. um, let's talk a little bit about some of the frameworks you use the, the 3cm framework can you guys elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I think you know, one of the things that, uh, this is one of the, the assets, I guess, that, that um, Accenture brought as part of our uh, engagement with them. I think it's um, you know, it, handy to have a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a branding around it, a bit of sort of pithiness around um, 
how you describe our you know, cloud data framework and, and how we think about 3CM, et cetera. Ultimately, I think the, the verbs are, are relatively straightforward. You have to be able to capture your data. You have to transform it or curate it. You have to consume it somehow. And ultimately, you have to manage it well. I think the, the benefit of bringing in a framework that has been sort of proven and used in a number of, of, of other areas is that that's one less thing that you really have to sort of create yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I, again, I think we've been really fortunate to have the benefit of, of, of working with you guys and working with some of our other strategic partners to really put together not only a framework, I think, but also uh, a set of architecture and design patterns that enable us to really uh, dive into our, our cloud migration without having to uh, sort of start from scratch and, and learn every, mm -hmm. um, you know, every lesson um, you know, uh, on our own. And Arun, how was it beneficial to the engagement? Yeah, I think uh, Mike kind of uh, touched on it. We were not maintaining or doing any work on the legacy data side at Discover when we started this, right? So coming in from a strategy consulting perspective and looking at it, we needed a very structured approach of looking at it and applying some of the patterns that we have successfully used elsewhere. How can we translate that and make it relevant and tailor it to Discover? So this framework basically allowed us to take the discover problem set, problem definition, and apply our design patterns to it in terms of defining how we can move from stage A to stage B, and uh, look at every individual area in detail, but at the same time look at it from a holistic perspective as well. Right, and it's, it's, it's helpful, I think, also to be able to contextualize the journey for folks that aren't necessarily as familiar with it. So you know, to look at things like data management, how you protect the data, how you govern the data, at the same level, at the same level of importance as building out a data lake or building out your uh, data warehouse or your event streaming patterns, I think is, is a really helpful way to make sure that all of these things, all of the gears are meshed. Um, because you know, when, when one breaks down, the whole process breaks down. Uh, so really making sure that you have that holistic view of how to use these things, I think is, is, is critical to the process. The other thing that I would mention is this also became kind of the communication framework uh, we did a lot of the lunch and learn awareness sessions at Discover when we were going into the cloud, the initial part of the journey. And I think this became a common vocabulary that everybody could relate to from the IT, from the business side. Very simple terms people can understand and relate to when they're talking about the whole of the cloud journey. And where would you say in looking at this was you know, the most challenging piece for you guys in terms of what needed to be done, the amount of work, the effort, or, or, the, or the risks involved? But it's all, it's all a challenge. <laughs> I know you have a lot um, of different data sources. Some of them, I think, are, are, are maybe a little bit underrated. I think the, you know, as we think about data management and data governance, yeah. And, yeah. and it really requires our business partners to do things differently than they've done in the past. Really yeah. thinking about metadata, the definition of what we're using and how we're using it is a really heavy lift and a, a really fundamental part of, of, of what we're doing. Uh, being able to create uh, data pipelines mm -hmm. that are secure, that are scalable. Um, again, the technology all exists, um, but, but getting it in place, being able to consume appropriately out of, in some cases, legacy systems that are decades old. Yeah, yeah. Um, are, Mainframes even, is, right? Right, exactly, are, uh, you know, are, are a challenge as well. So really, I, I think it's the, you know, um, they maybe happen in, in different orders, depending on how your uh, legacy environment works and what, what your uh, you know, sort of business is, but ultimately, um, you know, they, they are all a challenge, and I wouldn't underestimate any of them um, because, uh, again, if they don't all work in concert, uh, then the whole system breaks down. 
right? I absolutely agree with Michael. I think I would just kind of double down on the operational aspect of it, and that's where Michael's role comes in as the head of operations for data and analytics. I think just not thinking about the technology part of it, but thinking about how do you operationalize it? How do you think right. about that metadata, the governance, and uh, how do you make it production ready it was a bigger challenge than any of the technologies I would say. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk you know, in, a, in a minute or two, I guess, about some of the detailed technology. I think, you know, sort of mm, yep. you know, being where we are, and right. uh, <laughs> you know, it probably may, may have been a bit of a uh, surprise to, to some folks in the audience that um, you know, we really haven't much of the, talked about much of the detailed mm -hmm. uh, technology as we get into it, but ultimately, the hardest part, uh, the, the, at least from my perspective, that we found in this journey has been the non-technology parts. Um, certainly a lot of challenge in creating really strong pipelines and tools that let you move data appropriately and you can create the appropriate um, you know, uh, data validation and, and, and uh, all of those types of processes are, are critical and important and, and um, not easy to do. Uh, but but changing people, changing thoughts around it, I mm -hmm. think is 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 really the the you know significantly heavy lift. Okay, good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and yes, we are at reInvent. We're going to talk a little bit now. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the architectural elements um, of AWS that helped you power this. Sure. Um, so the 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 um, technologies change over time for sure. Um, but but uh, you know at the at the sort of most foundational. If you think about it, we have a, a variety of different uh, legacy systems, and um, we um, consume the, the, the raw data, uh, move that data into uh, uh, an S3 data lake. Uh, we run a number of uh, predominantly uh, ab initio, uh, but also uh, Spark, PySpark uh, type of jobs uh, against them as well. Um, we've created, uh, along with some of our partners, a universal data loader. Um, which takes the data when it's sort of load ready and moves it into the right place. So we standardize the data uh, on Avro format and move that data into Snowflake, which is our, our primary data warehouse uh, environment, um, and then run a number of different tools against it. Uh, our Alation is our, is our data catalog. Um, we also run uh, on all of this on an OpenShift platform. I think one of the things that we decided as an organization uh, is that um, while uh, we are sort of putting a big bet on, on AWS. We also wanted to be somewhat, um, you know, cloud uh, agnostic or, or have, you know, some optionality long term. So, so we've created, or uh, we're running on top of the OpenShift uh, platform for, for a number of our uh, um, uh, workloads. I think the only thing I would mention here is we had a very deep and active involvement of our Accenture uh, AWS business group. Uh, in this area, where we actually had uh, architects uh, who are certified on AWS come in and do a lot of the designs um, and do a lot of the recommendations from the services perspective, which services to use, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I think it goes back to the hardening of the platform. That was one of the key decisions in terms of if we have to productionize this, we really need the platform to be hardened. So looking at, okay, how do you tokenize the data, how do you decide, okay, which data stays within the restricted area, which data is freely available for the data scientists to start doing their modeling around it. I think a lot of the decisioning went in around that space. Uh, again, as Michael said, most of the technology here is proven. People have tried it, tested it. It was kind of putting Humpty Dumpty together <laughs> and seeing that how everything works together 
in terms of uh, the complementary nature of those technologies. And just moving the data back and forth and you know, within, our, within the environments was um, relatively straightforward. Not easy, right. <laughs> um, but, but relatively straightforward. But hardening for production, when you think about how you manage your AWS accounts, how you manage across VPCs, how you uh, do disaster recovery and backup, um, the um, you know, high availability and, and disaster recovery, working through availability zones and regions and uh, structuring things so that you can actually run operations that right. uh, hit the appropriate number of nines <laughs> uh, for, for your use cases, I think is, is where the, the real uh, sort of engineering expertise comes in. Uh, again, just moving files, moving data around is relatively straightforward, yeah. but organizing it for uh, you know, high-end enterprise production readiness um, is, is a, you know, again, a big part of the lift of the transformation. And I imagine scalability is a big piece too. You got lots of data sources, you have cyclical, you know, you know a cyclical business sometimes. How did the platform um, cope with that? Yeah, so uh, the, it's, it's an interesting environment, especially you know, being in, in financial services where we have a lot of cycle-based um, you know, processing. Just had Black think, Friday, right? Yeah, for, yeah exactly. From, from a legacy perspective, I think you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's significantly difficult to engineer for the ups and downs of cycles and things like Black Friday and Cyber Monday, et cetera. So when you look at uh, the ability of the cloud to do things like auto-scale and to manage uh, you know, varying workloads over, over time and the ability to, uh, to sort of shrink when you don't need it and to expand when you do need it, I think is, is a, you know, a significant feature, um, but it's not a plug and play feature. Right? So you can go on a console and mark something as auto scale. That does not mean that your right. loads can auto scale and be production ready. <laughs> so uh, really being able to, to, to take sophisticated engineering and expertise to it to create something that is production ready and scalable and robust enough to manage you know, sort of your tens of millions of, of transactions uh, a day, I think is, is um, you know, again, where the art uh, comes into the, to the science. And that scalability, and now what about the, uh, the ability to make decisions faster? You're using this data in different ways now, hopefully, right? And being able to drive your business you know, in different ways and faster. How, do, how does the platform enable that? So the, there are a couple different aspects to that, I think. One of them is, uh, so if you believe the, the estimates of three quarters of, of your model development time is on data wrangling, data munging, and just trying to understand what you have so you can start to create your algorithms. Um, we'll sort of go back to, to why we spent so much time and so much focus on the data governance and metadata and lineage and really understanding the data. We want to create um, much more for-purpose data sets for our analysts and our model developers to consume as opposed to what's a bit of a you know, on-prem Wild West, where where they have to, to take a lot of time trying to figure out what are the what's the appropriate set of data and, and the appropriate data elements and features uh, to use right. as part of that. So uh, if you think from that perspective, we're really trying to shrink the amount of time that our model developers need to find the right data and then to create new models uh, and then to get those models into production. So that's a big part of what we've tried to do from a process perspective. And then you know the part of the journey that I think that we're we're uh, really just sort of um, you know, sort of you know, cutting our teeth on is around how you consume your streaming data, your real-time data um, beyond things. I mean, certainly we, you know, we, we do you know, um, transaction-level fraud monitoring and, and that sort of thing now, but how do you start to consume different types of stream data to, um, uh, to make differentiated decisions to pr um, um, personalize, um, you know, across your digital mm -hmm. channels, your mm -hmm. web channels, et cetera. Those are the uh, the, the types of things that I think we're, we're uh, 
heading into, um, but a, most of the focus, I think, has been to continue to manage and maintain our um, you know, batch infrastructure. Got it. And once you have those data sets, right, the way you want them and, and you have them all kind of trained, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how the platform is helping you enable machine learning, data science, some of the more advanced um, data, you know, features. Yeah, certainly. So if, if, if we look back to our on-prem environment, so we have a, uh, a very large SAS grid, we have an ab initio grid um, for, um, you know, we had uh, our, our um, our data science platforms, H2O, is where, where most of our, our models uh, are, are developed, our machine learning models. Um, um, but on-prem, I think for us to be able to upgrade for our model uh, developers to be able to use the newest tools, we'd have to upgrade an entire grid, which meant all the users would have to go at once, we'd have to procure new hardware. Uh, and, and, and so the part of the benefit of the cloud, and one of the things that we have a, um, uh, another one of our engineering teams uh, do is we created a product called Air9, um, which is our um, model, uh, our machine learning and data science modeling platform, which containerizes uh, some of our, our newer development environments. So we can create, so we can turn around um, the ability to use a new, um, you know, uh, version of R, a new version of H2O. Uh, it's uh, integrated, um, you know, with all of the appropriate um, identity and access management tools to be able to make sure that the appropriate data is accessible through the process. And so uh, we're really trying to, to scale across the entire life cycle of, um, you know, of, of how the data is used. So we've built uh, platforms for our, our data scientists to, to, um, uh, to uh, access their tools and, and the environments uh, better. We've put in place new data catalog and new tools for us to be able to understand the data. Um, but if you look at the data that, that we've run in, in, you know, historically in, um, uh, you know, in, in our, in our uh, legacy environments, uh, the data is, you know, historically has been called somewhat of an afterthought from a process perspective. And so as new, new projects get ready to go into production, they say, hey, we need to get this data into our, uh, into our data warehouse, uh, which basically meant that, that you know, as you're sort of hurrying to get that, that data into a consumable environment, your, the, the data warehouse uh, ended up looking a lot like your um, um, transactional applications. So it was pretty normalized and, and not very you know, sort of fit for purpose from an analytical perspective. And so what we're doing now is, is as we move to the cloud and create these, these uh, much more sophisticated tools and processes, we're actually shifting the, uh, the analysis from, of, a, of the data left in, in our product life cycles so that we can create much more fit for purpose data sets. So we have much more highly curated data that our model developers and, and analysts can use. We let them access it with much more sophisticated tools. We let them discover that data through data catalogs that, mm -hmm. have, that, are, that have much more highly curated metadata and lineage for that. So really creating an environment that makes their job easier. And again, I think those are some of the under, underrated aspects of the transformation that we've ended up spending a lot of time on because ultimately that's what's gonna uh, promote usage. That's the value. Um, the, yeah. the, I think the, um, the, the process of build it and they will come mm -hmm. <laughs> from a cloud perspective is, 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 a bit of a, is a bit of a fallacy, at least from a discover perspective. We really needed to create an environment that was uh, alluring and, and, and um, you know, adds value to them, not just that's where the data is, so that's where people will start to work. I think that's a key point in terms of giving the data scientists easy access to the data and having that metadata available for the data scientists to actually understand, okay, which data to pull and what models will be most effective for that scenario. 
And the other thing was giving them options. I mean, it, it, it's not about everybody has to code on R or everybody has to code on uh, uh, Python. We even integrated uh, uh, the, uh, I think the SAS grid is also integrated with it so people can actually go in and uh, do their models in whatever technology they want. But leverage the data that is there on the cloud from the data lake, use it for doing training their model and then pushing it into the API so that uh, it can be used for decisioning. So a much faster cycle. Much right. faster cycle. And all of it has a CI-CD pipeline built under it, so it's actually automated from a move from the dev environment or the experiment environment into the actual production environment. Okay. With the right controls, of course. <laughs> well, so, and again, it's a journey. Right? So, so from, a, from a product perspective, it's, it's evolving. And as we've, as we've produced the environment that is uh, useful for, for our data scientists and analysts, we're learning more and more about uh, not only how they do their jobs, right? So just creating capability and data sufficiency on the cloud is not enough to really get you know, sure. su substantial, some substantial movement uh, to, our, to our cloud environment. So really understanding how they do their jobs, how, how they will want to do their jobs in the future, which things can you provide self-service, which things need to get productionized through data operations teams. Those are the types of decisions that we're making on an ongoing basis that um, don't necessarily have a you know a, a binary answer. Those things will, will be a bit of gray, uh, a bit of gray area as we as we move through the process. We just need to disposition them, make some some decisions on them, right. and and move forward. Um, but ultimately, I think that that concept of control of keeping your environments as clean as possible, um, you know, no, nothing's going to be pristine, but keeping them as clean as possible uh, in, in a new environments is really important to us. Talking about gray area, one of the things that you and I have talked about many times is the whole concept of responsible AI, where the models mm -hmm. make their own decisions in this new world. So how do you actually do it? I know at Discover you have been doing it with the traditional models, but as you moved some of the things to cloud, some of the models are still on the legacy. I know there were some challenges in terms of the results that were coming out, so you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so maybe I look at that in a, in a couple different ways. One is really part of the process is making sure that your data scientists, that your risk managers, that your model governance teams really understand the data that's being used and, and that they have as much visibility to that data to understand where there are opportunities for maybe some historical bias to understand, you know, are you feeding sort of the, the right breadth of data into your models to make sure that you're getting you know, the, the, the appropriate answers out of them. So I think that's, that's the area from a data and process perspective that, that we can influence and that we can control. I think the other part of it that's a little bit of the secret sauce, a little bit of the magic that from our data science team is creating some explainable or sort of you know, um, self-explaining machine learning mm -hmm. algorithms um, that, are, um, that open up the black box a bit. Uh, because we have a lot of constraints around things like fair lending, and, and so we don't run credit decisions directly off of machine learning models without being able to show why that decision was right. made and, and be able to sort of justify from a fair lending perspective. Good, so it's, an, it's evolving, right? So let's you know, focus a little bit on what's kind of next for, for analytics at, at Discover. You, you started to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so, so most of what we've, we've done so far and most of what we put in place is around our, our batch environment. Um, you know, the, the um, fact of the matter is most of our, our banking and financial services run in batch mode <laughs> right now. Um, but we are putting in place a number of the different tools and processes to be able to consume real-time events, to be able to be uh, you know, much quicker 
um, in decision making uh, as we go forward. And so uh, we're building out a uh, you know, streaming data platform. We have a, an event bus that we can pull a lot of those events off of now. Um, and then uh, you know, as, we, as we think about how do, we, how do we create the art of the possible from a, uh, a business perspective to really understand what they would do if they had streaming data, if they had that raw data available real time. I think that's the, um, you know, the, 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 the biggest hurdle to go through the process. Um, because ultimately, again, we can make the technology work. We have data that, that we manage through our event bus now. We, you know, like I said, we manage tens of millions of transactions and you know, validate fraud through them you know, every day. And so uh, the ability to consume that amount of data is not, is not uh, new to us. It's how do we want to use it and then how do we create an environment that um, you know, takes advantage of, of, of that sort of you know, real-time decision-making. I think one of the questions I would ask you here is, I mean, everybody gets excited about real-time analytics and all of these nice things. I have seen a huge return on investment just doing the batch framework, mm -hmm. what uh, we started with, right? So what were your thoughts on that in terms of focusing on that as going in? Sure. So the, so the way that we approached the, the process was we knew that creating a new data environment um, was going to be a journey. It was, it was something that was going to take in the you know, double-digit month <laughs> timeframe. And so our data scientists created a, a, a number of new models, a number of machine learning models against our old data. Uh, and so, and, and they've been cutting their teeth on how to do that uh, really well as we've created some of these new data sets. And so the next part of the journey is as we've created these more sophisticated, more highly curated data sets, putting those models, those machine learning models onto uh, that new set of data. I think is is the 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 next step in that uh, in that maturation. We've we've put uh, some of the more predictive algorithms, machine learning, and, and AI types of models against things like um, managing credit. So mm -hmm. credit line increases, credit decisioning, um, being able to um, uh, get a much more sophisticated view of where our customers are in our collections process. So I, I think in, in in the old world we would look at someone that was that was pretty close to, um, uh, uh, to, to being delinquent or, or to charge off as higher risk by definition from a life cycle standpoint than someone that was, that was earlier in the process. But as we start to put these algorithms and understand consumer patterns and understand more about um, behavior, uh, we've had a much more realistic curve that some people that are, that are you know, sort of closer to, to delinquency aren't necessarily high risk, just that they pay later in the cycle. Some people that are still early in their cycle given their attributes are um, maybe a little bit higher risk. And so that comes into not only how do we manage our, our collections and recoveries process, but auto, how do we think about fraud as well? Because uh, especially in the, in the credit business, the um, bad guys are really, really good, really, really <laughs> sophisticated. Uh, and so we need every trick we can to, to understand where there are potential uh, fraud um, happening as part of our portfolio. So would you say that running your existing models on a more scalable cloud data platform helped you identify some of those areas and then also identify where new models can benefit in driving some of those business decisions. Yeah, certainly, and that's, that's what I mean by you know, running the, the you know, new models on old data mm -hmm. uh, and being able to uh, ingest, because it, you know, as, the, as the, um, the economic cycle continues to expand, I think it's you know, as of July, it's the longest post-war expansion that, that we've had. Um, you know, so looking at through the cycle data means that now you're looking back, you know, 
10, 12, 15 years of data, the ability to take all of that data into one place and, and run scenarios, run models, and store data as, as you go through that uh, generates a lot of data. And, and so th the ability to do that is really only something that we would you know, um, have as part of you know, being in the cloud. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to continue to generate that much data on-prem uh, without having to really significantly increase our on-prem infrastructure. So if you could summarize the last 12 months at Discover, um, that would be great, and, and maybe some advice for, for other, other people out here that may be just starting this journey. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I think as we look at, at how we think about new products, new controls, new processes, you know, build, build with automation in mind. Uh, that's one of the benefits of the cloud, things like scalability and, and auto-scaling, and, and uh, a lot of these processes uh, are, are really geared towards automation. So build that in first and really think of that. Um, and think about uh, creating your architecture as, as modularly as possible. Um, one of the things that, we're, that, that we still have a multi-year journey to unwind <laughs> is all the complexity of, of you know, the, the intertwined processes and data that we have on-prem. And so really think about how do you create the right tools, create them as in a modular way as possible, as discoverable as possible, uh, so that you can you know, create you know, as much optionality going forward as possible. Um, the tools are evolving. Don't, don't fall in love with your tools. <laughs> um, you know, the, um, I think it's all right. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so the, the, these things will evolve. I, 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 you you want to take advantage of, of, of the, the tool sets that come out as much as possible. Uh, but the more you build vendor lock-in, the more you create uh, tools that are, or processes that are, are specific and bound to your tools, the less optionality you create over time. And so again, just know, you know, keep an open, uh, open eye uh, towards what, what um, processes and, and capabilities you're using and, and is that gonna lock you in beyond you know, what's gonna be uh, sort of palatable. Um, productionize, th think of, of your environment not as a sort of a monolith, but think of it as a set of interoperable products uh, that let you optimize where you need to optimize and let you sort of create, um, you know, sort of, you know, w w which things can you just, you know, use as commodity types of products where they're not going to create an advantage for you. Um, and then I, I, the, the, the one thing that, that, that will be an interesting balance, I think, as we go through the process, and I think it's probably similar for, for most folks, is um, we want to use this transformation as an opportunity to reset but we also know that we're not going to be sort of academically perfect and we're not gonna have a pristine cloud environment. And so we want to keep it as, as clean as possible. We want to, to put as many good practices and processes as possible, but we also don't wanna run in you know, multiple production environments forever. Uh, and so there are some things we're gonna compromise on. Uh, just be careful as you make uh, sort of declarations uh, out to your, your, um, uh, to your stakeholders of things like we will never do this, or we will always do that, um, because as time goes on, and, and you know some some things that were constraints become imperatives, uh, they end up making uh, you know compromises. And so I think just be open to that, um, and and I think you know, ultimately uh, settling on which tools, which processes, which controls uh, are are right for you is is you know the the you know how to manage that transition from legacy environments. That's interesting. So looking at the future and being ready for the future, because things are changing all the time, right? It's basically. How you boil it down, Arun? What would you add? I think two things come to mind. One is being deliberate about the business value that you are trying to deliver through this. Uh, I think that was uh, 
front and center in terms of the initiative that we were doing, identifying that, okay, this is the business value that we want to drive. It's not a technology project where we are adopting cloud or adopting a particular technology. It was about what's the business value, what's the ROI that we are going to deliver. And the other was uh, uh, the multidisciplinary team that was stood up looking at it right from technology to uh, actual data engineers, but also the operations part of it. How would you scale it? How would you manage it in production? Thinking about it upfront, not as an afterthought, was very critical in success. Right. Yeah, and I guess the one thing that, that uh, I would add as well is, uh, and we, we talked about it a little bit before, but this, this is, the transformation is not uh, just a technology transformation. Uh, ultimately, we can create the tools, the processes, give data sufficiency, and, and enable everything on the cloud. First of all, you need to make sure that your you know, stakeholders and, and consumers, your end users, uh, are using uh, the, the, the tools on the cloud, but also that they're keeping an eye towards what does it take to get off of your legacy environments. So we can move all of our, our you know, folks using new data sets on the cloud, but if they still have their you know, sort of, you know, the BI tool uses Tableau. So if they're still using a number of, you know, Tableau reports that are running off of your legacy environments, then you sort of set yourself up for, for those, you know, that multi-operational environment. And so really thinking about how do you not only create new, but what does it take to be able to, to move off of a legacy environment? And so we could probably spend another hour uh, right. talking through, yeah, the, through sure. that process. That, that, that can become a bit of a, uh, um, you know, a, a rat's nest of, of process, but uh, really, really important to, to understand what's there, how you pull it apart, and how you actually get um, migration, not just consumption of new uh, in your new environment. Great, good advice. We do have time for a few questions, um, but before that, I want to say thank you to Michael and to Arun for sharing the story today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and if there are any questions out here, we do have a microphone floating at the back. Up at the front, we have one. Hey, so, so a question on how you made that business transformation. What I've seen is a lot of legacy rule-based processes. You might have a clinician or an analyst who knows how to declare what fraud is. And over here, we have these graph scientists that have figured out some really sweet machine learning models. How do you balance the friction, maybe the business politics, of going from human decision to machine learning? Yeah, so so that's a that's a great question. I think that's um, you know one that one that would take a while. I think the ultimately the you know as I mentioned before, the hardest part of this process is the people, uh, it, and without executive level mandates around this is what we're going to do and and how we're going going about doing it, um, it, it just won't be successful. And so uh, the way we did it was we took one particular area, or we had uh, one of our, our our executive committee members say. In my area, this is what we're going to do. All of the analysts, all of the model developers, everybody is going to move in this time frame. Uh, and so it really created that sense of urgency and galvanized uh, moving over. The complexity isn't necessarily the things that are, let's call it visible. The, you know, so we have an inventory of models, of course, as every, you know, every financial services company would. Uh, so we know what, what needs to move there. As data sources move, we know those need to get redone. Um, we also have, hundreds, thousands of, of production business processes that run off of end user sandboxes. Uh, and so the decision comes in, can you retire them, which hopefully becomes a, a large number um, of those. Um, 
do you move them over directly? Because that gets you off of your legacy environment, but that might compromise uh, what, your, what your, um, your target state looks like. Or, and or, do you take the time to define the metadata to recreate those data sets uh, in a production uh, environment, um, which will take time and will consume resources not only from the technology side, but also from the business side as well. And so it's that business discipline I think that really becomes the pivot point, the key on, on you know, how to move those. Um, and those are the things I think, and which is why we spent so much time on it here. Um, because again, the technology is, well, it's not easy, but it's straightforward and relatively known now how to do these things. Um, but the fortitude and the business decision uh, on, on moving, I think is the, is the real critical factor to it. Thank you. Any other questions in the front over here? And, and I'll get to you next. Hi, uh, good morning. So thanks, Chad, uh, Arun, and Michael for you. Uh, pretty detailed. Uh, so I'm from Verizon, so question. So uh, from the scribe, you know, why AWS, right, as the chosen Second part is, uh, in terms of storage, being your largest, I guess, uh, spend. How do you really manage, you know, your spend compared to, let's say, your on-prem storage infrastructure? Yeah. So great question. So I'll repeat. I think I think what I heard was why AWS uh, in the beginning, and then how do we manage costs, um, particularly uh, storage costs? So why AWS? I, I think first of all, the the you know market leader I think is 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 pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I think parity is coming fast, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, but the breadth of services, the, um, the, the number of really sophisticated use cases that are running on the AWS environment were a, a lot of the reasons that we chose in the beginning. Now, like I said, I think we are uh, keeping a bit of an open mind around a multi-cloud strategy. There may be some uh, workloads and data sets that may make more sense on, on another cloud, depending on we have a lot of um, software as, as solution partners uh, that, that may run in, in Azure or uh, in uh, Google Cloud. Uh, and so we are open to those, but I think ultimately you know, that, that, that we're getting, we, we chose AWS for those reasons and we're getting what we need. Uh, and so I think it, 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 they've become a really, uh, really important strategic partner for Discover. Um, how we manage our costs, I think, is um, it's an evolution. <laughs> I think right now um, we're still in the place where costs are going up and, and we're trying to manage as efficiently as possible. Um, if you think of that more as an art than a scientist, I wouldn't say that we're sophisticated artists <laughs> at it yet. We are uh, at the point where we're moving the data, we're creating more and more data sets, and sort of managing the costs as best we can, but we really haven't created a good mechanism to manage costs particularly efficiently. I think as we create these new, more highly curated data sets and we start to understand how to manage those better, I think we'll start to, to get better at it. Um, but as you go into the journey, know that you're going to spend, you know, uh, your, your, your on-prem costs are probably going to continue to rise or your on-prem, on uh, yeah. Storage needs are going to continue to rise, as will your, your cloud spend. Um, first of all, until you learn how to manage the, the cloud really well, but secondly, until you actually learn how to migrate and take away um, use cases on-prem, which uh, again, is not necessarily just a factor of 
data sufficiency on the cloud, but can you actually move workloads and, and get people to stop using your, your on-prem environments? Um, and so that, that is a big part of the journey that, that you have to be prepared for. One more quick one over here, and then um, if there's ones, um, we're about to time out, we'll be up here for a few minutes afterwards, and we're happy to, happy to chat as well. Yeah, a question for me is, um, as you move towards fast data, uh, the data decision-making that you're doing presumably becomes more integral to kind of the operations of your business. Um, do you see that pushing you towards multi-cloud strategy? And equally, are you seeing the regulators pushing you down that road as well? So, uh, so, so I think the, the question was, given uh, how, we're, how we're managing data, regulatory pressures, et cetera, does that part of why we're thinking about a multi-cloud strategy and is that? Yeah, I guess, does that real-time decision-making make it more integral to the operations of the business and therefore more critical and therefore you need resilience from multi-cloud? I, I think from an operational perspective, from my perspective, I, I think it's, it, it would be more simple, more straightforward to manage a, a less than multi-cloud strategy. I was a unicloud, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think there, there are reasons around lock-in, there are reasons around how you optimize workloads uh, that, that really drive the multi-cloud strategy. Um, I, there's nothing regulatory or any sort of compliance-related pressures to do those. Um, I, I think ultimately it's just a matter of um, where is, it, do you, can you create the optionality for the right tool for the right job? Um, but from an operational perspective, less is more <laughs> uh, and, and simpler is better. Uh, and I think that's sort of the, the mantra that we're going through as we, as we sort of create the, uh, you know, our new environments. I think in Europe there is something around having a multi-cloud partner. There are some regulations. Uh, we still don't have that in US, so yeah. that was not applicable in this scenario. But yes, if you are talking from a European context, that becomes important. Obviously, we do have the on-prem and cloud. <laughs> so multi-platform management is still there. Yeah. It's not multi-cloud. Yeah, you know, I think the other part of it too is, you know, while, while we have significant scale at Discover, we also don't have the scale of maybe some of the other sort of big banks that have been around for, for a very long time. And, and our ability to scale in, in those instances is significantly enhanced by, um, you know, being able to, to leverage the cloud. I think that, you know, if we, if, we, if we didn't have those types of pressures, I think how you manage that transformation, the, the, the drivers become... Uh, a bit different. So to your point, you know, we, we run a lot of, um, you know, in our net-to-net -net operations internationally. Uh, so, you know, uh, RBI, the Royal Bank of India, declared that all sort of data within Indian transactions have to stay in, you know, within the, yeah. the country itself. And so making sure that there is a, you know, you have partners <laughs> that can satisfy that as you think about, I think Turkey's talked about doing something similar, Brazil's talked about doing something similar. So you know, at that point then you may end up having, you know, sort of, you know, to, to, to make different decisions depending on availability of services. Thank you again, guys. And thanks everybody Thank you. Yeah, for Yeah, thanks coming. everybody for, for showing up and for staying. And we'll be up here for a couple more minutes. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Very well.